2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. For when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Amen. Dear saints, you may be seated. Comfort. That really came through in that beautiful music that we just heard. So thankful for it. Beautiful. Absolutely wonderful to hear. Today we are still in Second Corinthians chapter 7. Lord willing, next week we'll be taking a look at two Christmas texts. One in the morning, one in the evening. The morning from Galatians, the evening from Isaiah chapter 9. But for now, let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek his grace. Father, we thank you that you're the God of comfort, the God of glory, and the God of goodness and love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit now and the comfort that comes in and through Jesus Christ. May we walk in faith as we hear this sermon, be built up in our most holy faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the many glories of the Advent season is the experience and the doctrine of God's comfort, the comfort of God, the Heavenly Father in particular, who pours out his comfort on us sinners here on earth, us broken, fallen people that are brought into the wonderful family of God. Today in our Old Testament reading, we employed Isaiah 40, 1 through 5, and in verse 1 of that text, God commanded the great prophet Isaiah to proclaim, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. And this is one of the wonderful themes we see in Handel's Messiah, for instance, which is so often enjoyed in this season, even as we had such wonderful music as part of our worship here together today as well. But ironically, there's no such thing as comfort without something else, and that other thing is called trouble. And in a fallen, sinful, broken world, there's plenty of that. And so we must have trouble in order to have comfort. Christ was born into a fallen, sinful world of trouble in order to bring us a universe of comfort in himself, his blood, his righteousness, his Father, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the means of grace, the glory of the Lord's day, and our worship of God. All these wonderful blessings are part of the comfort that God brings to us. The Holy Trinity, having elected his own from before the foundation of the world, brings us into this family by divine, supernatural, sovereign grace. And this comfort that God gives will be given and received and enjoyed in the only realm where it really makes any difference and where it's useful, and that's here on this fallen earth, right here where the sovereign God knew that our first father and mother would fall into sin and death, and through that restored us to a higher degree that we could have ever imagined, a greater righteousness than Adam had in his fall. Let's make it our gospel goal this resurrection day to be completely comfortable people in Jesus as God's beloved church. It's a great irony that those who love God in Jesus Christ have the 
responsibility and the privilege of being comfortable, at ease, sleeping in the boat while the storm is taking place all around us, having implicit trust in our Heavenly Father, throwing ourselves upon Him and His mercies, and enjoying incredible and glorious comfort. So, with this in mind, we're studying 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. Title of the sermon is Comfort. First, our doctrinal proposition. Why comfort is such a sweet consolation for the true church. You know, there are reasons for that, and I believe the Holy Scriptures are quite clear in elucidating them. I'm going to defend the general thesis in this particular sermon that the trouble that we face, especially in this context, is trouble that comes to us from the world more than anything else and our living in it, just being in a fallen world. That's a challenge. So with that in mind, let's consider why comfort is such a sweet consolation for the true church. First, because we are subjected to the world's harshest treatment. God's comfort comes to those who are hated, scorned, abused, and treated with contempt and ridicule. And biblically speaking, these human beings are, and turn out to be, the true or real saints of the faithful to Christ's church. And this ill treatment emanates from a world that hates God, as we used to when we were in it. Especially, if you will, the religious world. So this is a fact that we need to accept and live with. In fact, if we refuse to do that, then we cannot be the objects of God's sweet and gracious supernatural comfort. We have to accept the truth. Jesus made it very clear in his teaching, especially in John 15, at verses 18 to 25, in unequivocal terms, that we would be hated by the world. Not just the disciples, not just those initial apostles, but all true saints are hated by the world. We need to face that. But we need not fear that. We not, may, need not be rattled by that, or even troubled by it as we'll see the reason for that presently. Why comfort is such a sweet consolation for the true church, because we are subjected to the world's harshest treatment, and divine solace alone can alleviate it. There's nothing in or of the created universe can comfort you or me. Did you know that? God can and does use created good things that he made to convey his comfort to us, Obviously, human beings can even be animals, can be other things that are meaningful to us. But those things, those created beings in themselves, do not bring us any comfort or consolation. All true and genuine supernatural and God-given comfort comes directly from the Father himself through the Holy Spirit by the mediation of the Son of God. And this gladdening of our hearts is brokered to us in the following great, universal, comprehensive, divine, and theological ways. First, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, extends cheer and relief to his beleaguered church through the atoning ministrations of the second person of the Holy Trinity, Christ the Lord, on the cross, who unites the saints to the Godhead 
And then having risen from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand, the Redeemer with the Father then sends the blessed Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to the church and the individual saints within her. We receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit applies comfort to us in two ways, immediately and mediately. He applies comfort to us immediately through his own direct influence and immediately through the saints in the church through whom he is working, by whom and through whom we also receive and give comfort, consolation, blessing, and encouragement to each other. Now in this way then, we experience heavenly well-being and security in this fallen and broken sinful world. Now, this consolation comes to us even more practically in what I'll share now, and that has to do the forms by which God gives us these. These are what we call the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel of God's free and merciful grace in Jesus Christ alone, which we are receiving now, our participation by grace in the sacraments of the church, which, Lord willing, we're also going to be able to enjoy later today in our worship service, and prayer whereby and wherein the saints of the church have a beautiful, living, full communion with God and each other in this beautiful fellowship. Now, both the immediate and immediate means of God's comfort are seen in today's scripture lesson, as Lord willing, we'll see now. Let's look at those verses 5 through 7, chapter 7, and discover how God administers comfort in his world. Now, recognize this is his world. Yes, it's a fallen world, but it's still his world. And we're going to get a nice thumbnail sketch of this process in today's text. Therefore, without further ado... Let us launch right into how God administers comfort in his world. First, we believers have a need for comfort. Verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Now this verse here, this verse 5, is sort of picking up on Paul's earlier comments in 2 Corinthians 2.13, which also related Paul's going into Macedonia, even there with the hope of finding his good friend Titus there. And as we can perceive from verse 2 of chapter 7, things did not go initially very well for the Apostle Paul when he entered that part of Europe, Macedonia. So how many of us can relate to, quote, fighting without and fear within? Now, if the great apostle Paul could, then certainly we can too. On top of this, in the earlier part of verse 5, Paul confessed that his, quote, body had no rest and that he was, quote, afflicted at every turn. Here's one of the great saints of the church in any era or epoch, Old or New Testament, history, New Covenant, Old Covenant, and he's going through these great trials. And this is also true of every genuine, sincere lover of God in the church will have trials, tribulation, persecution, and hardship. But please notice something that could almost be hidden and missed, a small fact here in the verbiage of verse 5. 
that made Paul's suffering even before he received the special comfort that we're going to read of in verses 6 and 7 much more manageable and bearable and that was that he was not alone we read we our we three plurals in that verse and these people were with Paul even before he received that comfort so God never calls on us to do this alone we always need each other and that's one of the glories of the church we'll see that now we believers have a need for comfort and our father provides a person of comfort verse 6 but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus you know, as I was studying this and thinking about Titus, I think Titus is one of the truly great unsung heroes of the New Testament. You hardly ever hear much about Titus. You hear about Barnabas and, and Apollos and Silas and Timothy and other guys like that. But you don't know, hear a lot about Titus. But it's obvious that Titus was greatly valued by the Apostle Paul. God put a or Paul at least, put a huge premium on the importance of Titus in his own life. And like Paul, we all need a person all the time, without exception, without qualification. We have to have a person all the time. No one can stand or does stand on their own. And of course, the ultimate human person that we must have if we're to have any true life at all, is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate person, the only unfallen, perfect, sinless, totally reliable human being in the entirety of God's created reality. And notice, though, the importance of Titus. Now, I just made the comment that if we're going to have any life, we have to have Jesus, that's for sure. But notice still the importance of Titus, a church member. Paul and his companions were, quote, comforted by the coming of Titus. Now what's that tell you and me and teach us? That God has made you critically important to some other human beings in his church. Valuable, necessary. Particularly those that are closest to you in the body of Christ. And all of us together enjoy that. All of us in the church love each other in that way. We need each other. Now think back on your own life. When the arrival, wherever you happen to be, in some desperate, difficult situation of some loved one brought you great relief and solace to your heart, mind, body, and soul. And by the way, when we talk about comfort here, we're talking about body comfort too that's important God would have his true saints enjoy true bodily comfort this isn't just a spiritual thing just about the souls it's about the body too that's why we get a day of rest we're given a Sabbath the fourth commandment the new covenant the new world the first day the new Sabbath day a day of rest to worship God and enjoy Him in a special way. We need that comfort, and we should have it, and we should, in Christ Jesus, enjoy it. 
And now recognize that this is all perfected, however, in the coming, not just of Titus, but even as per this wonderful season of Advent, the coming of the great promised one, the great Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was prophesied and who has come and who has come to us in our fallen and desperate situation, who came to a place called Bethlehem in fulfillment of the Holy Scriptures, and we celebrate him in this season. We believers have a need for comfort. Our Father provides a person of comfort. And finally, Christ's church is the community of comfort, verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So here we have a chain of comfort. You know, God is always sharing his grace and wonder with us. And this chain really starts the domino effect in verse 6 with Titus's coming. He himself came to Paul and his friends. But before Titus came, he had visited the repentant church in Corinth and received from them a lot of comfort. He now conveys that comfort to Paul and his companions. And as you can see from the end of verse 7, Paul is overwhelmed with joy at all this good news. And it also confirms last week's sermon of resolution, how we know the Corinthians chose Christ over the false apostles. So the Christ-loving, spirit-filled, yet imperfect, holy Catholic and apostolic church, local churches, visible church, they are the only communities on earth where true, genuine, sincere, and thoroughly grounded comfort may be found. There are reasons for this, and we will, Lord willing, explore them in our application section. But for now, take note of that. We're not talking about anything that calls itself a church, but we're talking about a sincerely God-loving, humble, faithful, Christ-preaching, gospel-believing, Bible-adhering church that loves God in Jesus Christ. And here's that gospel, Lord's Day to Lord's Day. That place is the only place on earth where any real comfort or consolation can be found. Take note of that. Mark it in your hearts and minds. Don't forget it. And if you, for any reason, have any doubts about that universal assertion of truth, without any exception, all you need to do is simply and honestly look at all the others, all the comers, all the alternatives, and you will quickly understand that none of them qualify. Some of you might say, well, there are problems in churches. That's true. But that doesn't nullify the fact. The faithful church is the only place on earth where there may be found genuine, heavenly, supernatural, and most profound comfort. Period. So, if that statement is true, and it is, if the true church is the only haven of comfort on the planet... If that's true, then your intelligent minds are saying, then why is it not the case that everyone has availed themselves of this wonderful provision of God? That's a good question. There is reason for that. 
And we're going to investigate some of the most germane among them in our application section. So with that in mind, let's appreciate now why the redeemed church is the only place on earth where real comfort may be found. Now by place, I mean spiritual, universal, covenant community of the atoned for elect and sometimes invisible church. The head of this place, this kingdom, this church is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Lord and King of all. And now, let's, with much more astuteness by God's grace, grasp why the redeemed church is the only place on earth where real comfort may be found. First, because authentic consolation requires the forgiveness of sins. Where sins are not forgiven... There is no possibility at all of peace, harmony, concord, love, kindness, mercy, tenderness, or goodness. It doesn't exist. It's all an illusion. It's just a fabrication at best. All of those wonderful virtues that we just mentioned entirely hinge on the absolute truth that sins must be remitted for any of these lovely graces to be experienced by sinners. And sins may only be expunged in one way, through the shedding of the blood of the perfect God-man, the sinless one, who would substitute for, represent us, and apply by imputation that grace to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. All based in God's sovereign election, for sure, but experienced in time and space. The death of the God-man. Because, dears, as sinners, we could never do it on our own. Impossible. There's not a thing we could do to expunge, expiate, take care of, get rid of, pay the eternal debt for the sin issue that we have. But for people on earth who do not want their sins forgiven in the only way it can be done i.e. what I just told you, the gospel of Jesus Christ's blood atonement, for those people, they may never possess any comfort or any peace in this world or in the world to come. None at all. Now, dears, you might be saying, yes, pastor, I hear you, but what about all those other voices out there? Well, we grant that false prophets have always said, as per Jeremiah 6.14, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's easy to say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Where there is not forgiveness of sins, there is no peace. No peace with God, no peace with man. But we, by God's grace, may proclaim, as per Luke 2.14, and with the angelic hosts, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased, i.e. those whose sins have been forgiven by the merciful grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is a message not just for the church, though, dear. This is a message for everybody in the whole world. Everyone needs to hear it. And know that the truth has come to them. Everyone needs it. 
Why the redeemed church is the only place on earth where real comfort may be found because authentic consolation requires the forgiveness of sins. And this is achieved solely in the shed blood of Christ plus nothing. A new hero of mine, the great St. Anselm, A.D. 1033-1109, was certainly right when, in his book, entitled in English, Why Did God Become Man?, he assiduously proves that the only way that even Almighty God himself could redeem sinners created in his own image was through the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of one of the persons of the Holy Trinity, who would then become a human being and who would perfectly and legally substitute for and represent us sinners before the bar of God's implacable and unendingly unchanging justice that would condemn us because we're sinners. The application of this gospel atonement to sinners brings unspeakable comfort, peace, assurance, and it also in us elicits a holy fear and an ardent love in our hearts, minds, and souls as astounded people who have now been thoroughly cleansed and who are now supernaturally happy. We can hardly believe what's happened to us. And all of this is because Jesus Christ was incarnated, born, lived, crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven from and on this fallen planet where we live today. Where are you this Lord's Day morning? There are two options. Everyone's in one of them. Are you in comfort in Christ? Or are you in turmoil and rage in the world? There are no other alternatives. Embrace Jesus by faith. In doing so, take upon yourself divine and eternal consolation, comfort, peace. For your souls and your bodies. Beloved, comfort is had only in the Messiah's blood and resurrection. Let us truly and heartily rejoice in heavenly comfort. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this comfort comes to your church. That the great Apostle Paul needed it. You provided it. Ultimately through Christ, but immediately through Titus. And even further through the words good gospel encouraging words from the Corinthian church. Thank you that you do the same for us. You provide us comfort in the storm. We thank you that in heaven it's true there will be no need for this kind of comfort because there will be no trouble. But while we're here, Lord, we need it desperately and we must have it in Jesus. So continue to provide it. Pour out abundant measures of comfort on your children, upon their bodies and their souls. May they rest firmly, securely, and as children in the arms of a loving Father. Through Christ alone, whose name we pray. Amen.